Bokatov. In the next hour, I wish to address uh, one question concerning Shimshon. As a preface, uh, I would like to uh, invite every time I... Is it not on? Okay. Um, I would like to invite everybody, or anybody, every time I use a word in Hebrew because I can't think of the English, feel free to shout out the word that I couldn't find. I'm not, it's been a while. Um, there are many, many shiurim and uh, articles address questions concerning the stories of Shimshon. Uh, there's a whole long list of questions which immediately arise in people's minds. The personality of Shimshon, how we should address it, is he good, is he bad? Uh, the connection between Shimshon and the fact that he was a Nazir, the connection between his Nazirut and his strength, uh, the story of his father and his mother, what the connection between them is and what the connection between them and he is. There's a long list of questions. I don't wish to address any of those questions, although perhaps... Uh, what I will want to say might help in, and I'll try to list this at the end, in answering those questions. I want to ask a somewhat different question, one which is actually more essential, but sometimes is overlooked. My question is, why does the story of Shimshon exist in Sefer Shoftim or in Tanakh at all? Um, in order to understand the details of the story, the connection between one chapter and another, and the connection between Shimshon and Delilah and his parents, we first have to understand why this story exists. What is it doing in the book? It's a very nice story. We all learned when we were children, and unlike many other stories we learned from Sefer Shoftim, Shmuel and Melachim, these stories we remember, because they're so interesting and different, but that's really the point. They're interesting stories, but what do they have to do with the message and the character and the purpose of Sefer Shoftim. To make the question clear, Shoftim, as opposed to other books in Tanakh, has a clear and explicit theme. You don't have to go to a shir in Yeshivat um, in, in HaRetzion to know, to answer the question, what is Sefer Shoftim about? Because Sefer Shoftim tells us what it's about in the beginning of the book. In the in Parik Bet, Pasuk Yud Aleph, Parik Aleph is a a, a, a summation of Sefer Yoshua. It explains what they've captured, what they haven't captured. And then Yoshua dies, which he probably should have died in Sefer Shoftim, but he lived 110, so he managed to get one parak, one chapter in Sefer Shoftim. And then in Parak Bet, you have the following statement. Pasuk Yud Aleph. Vayasu Yisrael Technically speaking, this might refer to the next year after Yoshua's death, but it's quite clear as we read it that this is more than just one case. But this, is, in fact, is a set pattern which is meant to be followed through the entire book. So when they've sinned, God delivers them into the hands of their oppressors, who oppress them. And then finally they can't take it anymore. And therefore they cry out to God, and therefore God sends a, it says Shoftim. It's explicit here already that, although this might be the immediate story, but this is more than one story. The entire pattern is, is a pattern. The pattern is, sin, subjugation, supplication, and salvation. Easy to remember? SS, SS. Took me a while to think of an S for supplication, but it worked out in the end. If you, if you think about it, you, you finally, English is a wonderful language. You can always, Find a good Rashi Tevot if you need them. Vayakem Adonai Shofetim, Lashon Rabim. 
and in each of these cases, there's going to be a shofet by Yoshi'um, miyad shosehem, begam al shoftehem lo shameu. It's explaining why it's a pattern. And after this, this is the end of the story. The shofet comes and saves Israel. Not the end of the story, because gam el shoftehem lo shameu. But then they didn't continue to follow the way of God, even though there's now a shofet. Etc., 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 and therefore the pattern repeats itself. Um, in the uh, in the next parak, when it gets down to brass tacks, we're starting individual stories. So the first story simply repeats the same words to make it clear that parak bet was an introduction of a pattern of the whole book. And now in parak gimel, the first of the episodes which reflects this reflects the same language. Parak uh, gimel pasuk zayin. So this is the first case of particular oppressor, as opposed to the Pasuk and Perak Bet, which spoke about oppressors in general. So here's episode number one. They sinned. They were sold to Aram. Sin. Subjugation, now supplication, petition, they cry out to God. So the first shofet is Otniel ben Kenaz. Once we realize that, and, and, and then the rest of the Sefer repeats in almost, almost identical words this pattern. Once again, they've sinned. Once again, God invites, sends them a, a foreign oppressor. Finally, they cry out and he sends them a, a, uh, someone to save them, a Moshia. And then you come to Shimshon. Shimshon is the last explicit Shofet in Sefer Shoftim. It's not the last parak of Sefer Shoftim, but it's the last Shofet in Sefer Shoftim. After Shimshon, you have the story of Pesel uh, Micha uh, and, uh, and Pilegash Begiv'ah. There is sin and subjugation. There is no supplication. There's nowhere in the stories of Shimshon do we have a description that B'nai Yisrael are actually oppressed enough to cry out to God? And you surely, and not unexpectedly, if there's no, if there's no supplication, we're not surprised that there's no salvation. To put it starkly, when Shimshon dies, the situation of Am Yisrael is not changed at all from what it was before he began his career. He has killed a couple of thousand Rishdim. Apparently that doesn't make much of a dent in uh, Plishti military power. So it's very nice that he's killed a lot of people, but the story is not about personal vengeance, or the story of Sefer Shoftim is not personal vengeance, which Shimshon apparently achieves when he says, Inakma may Mishdei But political and national salvation, the answer is zero. There's no difference whatsoever. They are still subjugated to Plishti power. And they will be subjugated to Plishti power well into Sefer uh, uh, Shmuel. Uh, basically, the story won't end until the Biramelech, though there is a great victory uh, beforehand uh, when, uh, under, the, under the tutelage of, of, of Shmuel. So you have it, the pattern is broken, and it's broken in the most important parts. The important part is that if you cry out to God, God will save you, although you then repeat the pattern. But here, Political situation exists, they're subjugated to the Plishtim, but the rest of the story is missing, and therefore, Shimshon is not a Shofet. And I don't mean only in the tactical sense, which is an interesting question. He's surely not a Shofet in the sense that we use the word Shofet. He doesn't do any judging, as far as we can tell, and I would suspect that's a good idea. Uh, if I wanted to sue my neighbor, I wouldn't go to Shimshon. Uh, two, he's not a Shofet in the sense that Sefer Shoftim calls a Shofet. A leader who saves, who redeems. Who, 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 who saves the situation. He does a lot of things. About, he doesn't save Amisol in any sense whatsoever. So technically, why is he Shofet? But my main question is not why do I call him a Shofet, but why is the story here? It's a story about an individual. Interesting. Maybe there is some Muslim one can learn from it. But it has nothing to do offhand, although it took place in the right uh, epoch, it has nothing to do with the theme, the clear and distinct and the, uh, proclaimed theme of Sefer Shoftim. And therefore, my question is, why is the story of Shimshon in Sefer Shoftim? The real question is, why is it in Tanakh? But if it somehow found its way into, I don't know, Mishlei, I would say, okay, we can learn things from it. 
But why is it in Sefer Shoftim, although historically it's in the right time, it is not about what Sefer Shoftim is about. And if we look somewhat further afield, the question is, since Shoftim is the gateway, is the bridge between Moshe and Yoshua and the kings, the period of the Shoftim is the in-between period about which it said, Bismanahu, ain't Shofet, ain't Melech Israel. How does Shimshon in any way contribute to that bridge? That's my question. The other questions, which one asks when one reads individual psukim, is not my question, although perhaps, I hope, if this time I will try to mention as much as I can at the end of the shiur, uh, understanding the answer to the question I'm asking perhaps will uh, help us understand Shimshon's personality, uh, his personal role, his religious role, Perhaps those things will become will become clear. Um, the question is the question of whether or not, or, or in what sense, is Shimshon a Moshiach, is in fact answered explicitly in in the narrative, but in a way which is very equivocal. Before Shimshon is born. And it's worth noting that the idea that before you're born there's a pasha describing a promise to your parents about how you'll be born is also doesn't take place in Sefer Shoftim. In Sefer Shoftim, the Shoftim are born to work. When there's a problem, all of a sudden, there's a Shofet who comes to answer. We're not interested in the childhood of Otneo uh, ben Kenaz or Gidon or Dvora or Barak ben Avinoam. We're not interested in the personalities. It's not a story about them. It's a story about the Yeshua. Uh, Shimshon has not got the childhood. He has a pregnancy, uh, but we have a pasha describing how he is born and the promise. And there, there is an explicit reference to the concept of Yeshua, using an expression which is, in retrospect, not clear. Um, in the first parak, parak Yud Gimel, which describes his pre-birth, his, 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 his birth, Manoach and his wife. So when the Malach appears to his mother and tells him, tells her that he will be treated as a Nazir, Ki Nazir Adohim Pasuk, Parak Yud Gimel Pasuk, hey, Ki Hinachara, Veoladet Bein, Umora Lo Yaaleh Arosho, Ki Nazir Elohim Yehanar Menabaten, Vehu, he will, Yachel, he will begin, there's no other way to translate the word, he will begin to save, to bring Yeshua, Lehoshia et Yisrael miyat plishtim. The Pasuk says, he will not save Israel, he will begin to save. But once we realize that's what it says, what does that even mean? What does it mean to begin to save? So if there was a process whereby you have to uh, conquered ten cities, and he conquered five cities, okay, that might be the beginning. Again, he hasn't begun in any sense of the word that makes a difference. The, the Prishtim are not actually weakened. It's not as if later on, the Vidamelech will continue, will build on his, his successes, his part successes. The Pasuk is saying, by saying, so God is admitting in advance, Hulo Yoshiach. He won't actually do it. But now the question is, what does it mean, Yachel Oshia? What, what did he contribute? There was the, the, apparently the answer is, he did do something. He did contribute. But he didn't contribute in any way that at the, at the moment I can see, and therefore I want to know, we have to find out what, what that answer is. So, if we look in the stories, just to, very, very quickly to understand the, 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 the uh, pattern here and the, the structure of the stories, Perakut Gimel is about his pre-birth. Um, Describes the story of the angel Manoach and his unnamed wife. Perikudalid begins uh, begins the story of Shimshon. Uh, all the stories of Shimshon, all the stories of Shimshon, without exception, involve women, not Jewish women. And one could, and a person once did it, a movie that I didn't see, but I can only imagine what it was about. Famous American movie called uh, Samson and Delilah did not uh, concentrate on how he saved Israel, but concentrated on the more explicit discussion here, how many women uh, Shimshon knew. It made much better Hollywood scenes. Uh, this was in the 60s. They weren't that good scenes, but nonetheless, if you had an imagination, you could figure it out. 
That's interesting, but not for the question I'm asking. It's interesting for the other questions. How are we supposed to relate to a Shofet Yisrael who spends most of his time dallying with, uh, uh, with non-Jewish women? I'm not asking that question. Put it aside. I just said it to wake up those who are still sleeping. Perak Yudalit, he goes to Timna and has one wife. And because of that, he winds up killing 30 people and uh, doing um, some mass destruction in uh, Timna and the surroundings. Uh, that's Perak Yudalit. Perak Tetvav. Uh, Shimshon goes back to visit the same woman and kills some more people. Um, on the way... He has interesting episodes with lions and with uh, with honey. Then um, he uh, eventually is delivered, so to speak, to the plishtim in a in a ruse, and he manages to kill some more plishtim in the end of uh, Perek uh, Tevav. And then that's basically the end of the story. Uh, in Perek Tezayin, he basically loses. Perek Tezayin is about Delila and. Uh, Till the final, till his final death at the end, at, at the end of the story. Perek Tetvav ends with the following statement. Again, it's not the end of the stories. Perek Tetvav ends with the story, That's clearly a conclusion. It's the kind of thing you say when the career is over, other shoftim, when they finish. It says, this man, Shafat, Esrim Shana, Arbaim Shana, uh, you sum up his career in saying he was the Shofet, he was the Melech, it's the same thing that takes place in all of Sefer Melachim, uh, Esrim Shana. The thing is, it's, the story is not over. One, of course, could claim maybe the good part of the story is over. The next parak deals with his demise. So maybe, maybe they decide to write over here, you know, he did A, B, and C, he succeeded, he succeeded in his own terms, he killed Philistim and burnt their fields and destroyed the gate of, uh, of of the city, and he's not going to do any more because he's about to he's about to lose. So it says, sums up his career by But the next parak, which describes his imprisonment and death, also ends with the same pasuk. The very end of parak Tezayim, uh, after he's already dead, pasuk lamed aleph. Exactly the same words. How many days later? How many years later? We don't know. But again, apparently not more time has gone by. And, if, and the Pasuk is repeated. And this is the right place. If you're already doing a conclusion, so this is the conclusion because it's the end of his life. He died. Given the fact that the Pasuk will appear at the end of Perek uh, Tezayin, why does the Pasuk appear at the end of Perek Tezvah? One might claim, and it would make sense, that maybe it's an extra Pasuk, but the Pasuk is repeated twice. Once at the end of his successful career and one at the end of his life. In order that we should know that that's not true, the Navi who wrote Sefer Shoftim destroyed that theory by the beginning of Perak Tetzayin, which in our minds is the beginning of his demise, includes one more short story of success. And I think the only reason why that's done is that you shouldn't think that the previous Pasuk, was in fact the conclusion of a successful career. The beginning of Perak Tetzayin is a short story. And that's when he carries off the, he, they come in the middle of the night, or they're waiting for him outside. They don't dare attack him at night. They're waiting for the dawn. He knows they're there. So in the middle of the night, he gets up, takes the Sha'ar of, uh, of the city, and uh, walks off with it. There are some things, somehow, even when we have childhood education, which is basically designed to astonish us, some things I don't remember being stressed. Uh, Shem Shem must have been very strong to carry off the gate of a city. But think about it. How wide are gates of cities? They're not doors to the auditorium. Any city you've seen, any archaeological ruins you've seen, the gate to a city is wider than one person. You have to have one lane going in and one lane going back. We can assume that it's wide enough for a carriage. The answer is, typically speaking, it's Eser Amot, from which the Gemara claims that Shimshon was not only very strong, but also very large, because he had one hand, in order to carry off the gate, he had to hold the two sides of the gate. He needed an arm span of at least five meters. I don't remember being taught that in first grade. Maybe they didn't want to astonish us too much. But 
This story appears in the beginning of the next parak, and before this story, it already says, So why, what is the purpose of the Pasuk, in the middle of his life? It's a summation verse, which appears before the end, definitely before the end, which is the next parak, but even before the end, if you claim the end of his successful career, it's before that as well. I suspect very strongly that this story in the beginning of Parak Tazayin is there only so that you shouldn't claim, you shouldn't miss my point, you shouldn't claim that this Pasuk is not that important, it's in fact a summation Pasuk. It's not a summation Pasuk, it's telling us something else. Nip, we have to understand what took place before that. What caused the Navi to write, what caused the Navi to basically sum up his career, after the previous story. What is the previous story? The previous story is an amazing story, not because of what Shimshon does, but because of what the Jews do. Going back to Pasuk, uh, to Perik Tedvav, Pasuk Tet. This is after Shimshon had done one of his stunts. Uh, He's hiding out someplace in the wilderness after having killed a lot of plishtim. Pasuk tet, vaya'alu plishtim, vaya'chanu biyuda, vaya'natshu balechi. The plishtim come, they basically rule, but they don't, they, they, they're living in Eretz plishtim, and the Jews are living in Eretz Yehuda. So they come and vaya'chanu biyuda. They bring an armed force to into Yehuda. Vaya'amru ish Yehuda, lama alitem aleinu? So the people of Yehuda say, what's this expedition doing here? We're basically behaving well. There's no reason why you should be attacking us. Apparently, what does it mean? Why, why are they surprised? Why would you be surprised that your enemies are attacking you? Only because they're not your enemies. Why aren't they your enemies? Because you've been paying what you're supposed to be paying. You, you're, you're, you're acting properly. They pushed in rule Israel, but they rule it from afar. And they're not going to send an armed force into Israel as long as Israel behaves properly. So the Jews say, when I say the Jews, I mean Anshay Yehuda. Vayamru ish Yehuda. Lama alita baleinu. Vayomru le'esorit shimshon alinu. Lasod lo kasher asalanu. So the Plishtims tell, tell Anshay Yehuda, we're, here, we're, we're not here for you. You're, you're good people. You, you, pay your, you pay your taxes. We're here to find Shimshon. And they sent an armed force. An armed force of Plishtim can find Shimshon and we'll, we'll, we'll capture him. At least they think so. So what do Anshay Yehuda do? Vayirdu shloshet alafim ish Yehuda. So Yehuda, without being requested, sent 3,000 men, and apparently, I assume, armed men. We're not dealing with people without uh, 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 capabilities. They sent 3,000 armed men to capture Shimshon in order to deliver him to the Plishtim, to get the Plishtim off their back. They weren't even asked to do this. Now, I'm trying to eliminate any modern uh, Zionist or free man uh, reaction to the 20th century. This is an amazing, amazing story. It's describing Anshay Yehuda as being what we call today Mashtapim, but voluntary Mashtapim. They, on their own, without even being asked, just because they want to please the, the Philistine masters have sent 3,000 men to arrest one of their own, a, a Jewish patriot in some sense, apparently a troublemaker, and deliver him to the Plishtim. There is no comparable episode in Tanakh, in Tanakh history. And why do they do this? So they say, to, they, they, they tell Shimshon why they're doing it. He said, don't you know, ki moshlim banu Plishtim, they say to him, you are acting the way you're acting, but you can't do that. Halo yadata, you also know, ki moshlim banu plishtim. We are ruled by the plishtim. What is being described here, as opposed to all the other stories whereby a foreign power came, oppressed Israel, captured Israel, oppressed them, and the people were not able to stand up. They, they lost the battle. But they didn't undergo a transformation, a mental transformation of accepting the state. They, on the contrary, what I mentioned before, eventually, they couldn't fight on their own, so they realized that they had made a mistake. They realized that true salvation comes from, not from your own arms, but from God. Here there is no Zeakah, as I pointed out, we don't find any reference to supplication, petition on the part of the Jews to God. And now we know the reason. 
The reason is because they've accepted the situation. They themselves make a declaration, not a public declaration when the uh, Plishti uh, uh, regent comes and says, make a declaration. No, it's, it's, a, it's a Jewish conversation. They say to, to, to Shimshon, you don't understand? Ki Moshlim Banu Plishtim. Moshlim Banu Plishtim is a direct quote of the statement made in the beginning of the story, in the beginning of Perek Yud Gimel, before Shimshon is born, to explain to us what's about to happen. Perek Yud Gimel, Pasuk Aleph. Vayosifu b'nei Yisrael asot hara b'nei Hashem vayitneim Hashem b'yad plishtim abayim shana. That's not the Pasuk I wanted to quote. Um, the Pasuk I wanted to quote has escaped. Perekyu Dalit Pasuk Dalit The first it's it's not before Shimshon was born. In the first Shimshon story, which begins on a personal level, he's going and he's going to marry a Plishti girl. It says Pasuk Dalit Va Avivimo Lo Yadu. His parents are very upset. Their son is planning to marry a Plishti. They're good Jews, they're upset. About such a thing, it is an introductory pasuk. Just very often in Tanakh, the introductory pasukim are delayed until the last second. Something is about to take place. Till now, nothing has taken place. He's going to marry a girl. In a minute, he's going to start killing people. That's a statement of fact. The author of Sefer Shoftim writes, Ba'itahi, Plishtim Oishim Israel. One parak later, we find the Jews saying, Ki Moshlim Banu Plishtim. In short, the Jews have reached a state of self-subjugation. And therefore, they no longer cry out. I don't know the details. It could be that Plishtim was not particularly oppressive. It could be that it was oppressive and they didn't care. It could be that they're even, even worse off than that. The point is that they are not trying, even mentally, even internally, they have no desire to change the situation. They've accepted the situation. We are underlings, we are vassals of Plishti power. And therefore, in light of that, Shimshon is not a hero, but a threat. Because he's upsetting. He's upsetting the natural order of things. He's upsetting the, the, the rulers. And therefore, they are going to do the ultimate act of treachery. They're going to deliver one of their own. It's basically basically treason. They're going to deliver Shimshon uh, over, to, over to the Plishti powers, over to, over to the Plishti. So Shimshon has a good sense of humor. And he says, okay. Here, there, there are very few places in the stories of Shimshon where he says something really admirable. Uh, you can always admire his strength, but he basically acts uh, impetuously and naturally. But here Shimshon says something. He says to them, he says, okay, uh, the next pasuk, pasuk yud bet, perek tedva, pasuk yud bet, we've come to deliver you. He's not afraid of them. He's not afraid of the Plishtim. Why would he be afraid of them? He says to them, he swear to me that you won't injure me in any way. He's basically saying, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, but I, I, you guys are terrible, but don't commit an act which you'll be sorry for. And they promise. Uh, whatever's going to happen is between me and the plishtim. I don't, I don't kill Jews, and therefore don't do anything to get me upset. That, that, that's what he says to them. And, and it's important to him to say that, which is, which is admirable. He shavuli pentebun miyatem, vayamulo lemo, lo! Now, that statement is that they say yes, but it's, it's also an act of cowardice. They say, oh, no, 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 we're, we're not going to hurt you. We're just going to tie you up and let them kill you. <laughs> Reminds us of, of Achei Yosef. Yadena, we, our hands will not strike chasashal and we don't kill Jews. Achei Yosef says, we're not going to kill Jews. We're just going to give them to the, to the Mijanim, to the Yishmaelim. They'll do whatever they do to him. Or we'll just let him die in the boat. There was this, this idea which is, 
You understand where it comes from? There's a halachic difference between killing somebody and merely letting somebody else kill him, but it's not a moral difference. Uh, but that's what they say to him. So, we're only going to arrest you. He, uh, uh, he makes him swear. They swear. And then they tie him up. Now, tying up Shimshon is a useless thing, but Shimshon plays along. Obviously, it's all a trick. Okay, so Shimshon gets tied up. He gets delivered to the Pushtim. All the Pushtim come, and then he, he does what he does. After that story, you have the statement, My thesis is the following. The, the, the purpose of Shimshon is not to change the political, military situation in Israel. That will wait many years until Shmuel, eventually David Melech, who will finally destroy completely Pushtim might over, over Eretz Israel. The tafkid, the purpose of, of Shimshon is to correct, is to undermine, is to overthrow the mental subjugation of the Jews Plishtim. This story is indeed a violation of the pattern, but not because God doesn't save Israel, but because the Jews don't want to be saved. That's why this story doesn't fit into Shoftim. That's why it does fit into Shoftim, because it's worse. The situation now is worse than it was before. And before, and the Jews sinned. Terrible. But then, when God reminded them that they sinned by sending an oppressor, so they repented. Or if they didn't repent, they at least called out to God. They didn't really repent because they repeated the pattern, but there was at least this pattern whereby you come close to the God and go away from God, and God fulfills His side of that bargain. But now that pattern has been broken, not because Shimshon isn't a good Moshe, but because the Jews can't be saved in the normal sense, because if you don't cry out to God, there's no one to save. And Shimshon is going to correct that situation. How does he correct the situation? Not by giving a drasha. I suspect... I always get afraid when I say things like this because of Chazal's attitude towards characters in Tanakh that aside from what they're told about, they're also great Rabbanim and, 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 uh, and, and Poskim, but they don't say that about Shimshon. I suspect, Shimshon should forgive me if I'm wrong, that I can give a better shear than Shimshon. Uh, and that's not even saying much. Um, Shimshon doesn't go to the Jews and give them a speech about liberty and the rights of man and the greatness of man and Selim Elohim and that he's been that they've all been created in the image of God and they have uh, God-given inalienable rights to freedom and uh, liberty in the pursuit of happiness. He doesn't say much to anybody. Shimshon destroys or overturns the self-subjugation of the Jews by being the exact opposite. And Shimshon's problematic character, and it is a problematic character in terms of his head, in terms of his control. But one thing that can be said of Shimshon is that he is free. If all the people in Israel have become slaves to the command and the control of the Plishtim, Shimshon is a free man. And that's what all the stories are about. He does whatever he wants to do. That's one of the problems we have with Shimshon. Because we would like our children not to do whatever simply hits them in the head. But Shimshon is as a character, not as an ideology. He doesn't have an ideology. But as a character, Shimshon is unsubjugated to the most extreme degree possible. And that's already exhibited explicitly in the very first story, when he does what is really the unthinkable, apparently. The very first story, Shimshon takes a walk. He comes to Timna and he sees a pretty girl. And she is Mibnota Plishtim. Sometimes I have questions to which I have no answer. Shimshon is the only person in Tanakh, as an adult, to still be hanging out with his parents. No, it, it, it's, it's incredible. I, I assume that in the ancient times, because this is what we've been taught, that if you wanted to get married, you, you probably did involve your parents. Because, you know, there was, you had to pay moha, you had to have a dowry, etc. But nobody else in Tanakh, when he gets married, goes and asks his parents to arrange it. Shimshon is, it's just, it's just interesting. I don't know, maybe he's still very immature, but he sees a girl, he goes and says to his parents, Go there and, and, and get the girl for me. So his parents react the way we would react. Apparently, Jews are Jews. They say to him, what are you, crazy? She's a shiksa. What, what, what happened to you? Uh, those are the words. They, it's, this, I'm going to translate. Shiksa is a modern word. Shiksa I'm saying in Yiddish, not in Hebrew. They say to, they say to him, in other words, she's not just a plishtim. The word arel only appears in the context of plishtim. Uh, she's not just not Jewish. The word arel is an insult. The plishtim are avelim. It's used throughout Sefer Shmuel as a way of insulting the plishtim. 
uh, you're going to marry a plishti mibnota arilim. In modern modern Yiddish, they're saying you're marrying a shiksa. They're, 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 they're totally shocked. So what does he say to them? What does he say to them? Vayom shibshon laviv otakachli kihi yashra beinai. That doesn't mean that she's she's yashara. I checked out her character and she's a tzaddikit. That's not what it means. Ki yashra beinai. He's saying, I want to marry her. This is what I want. You're talking ideology. You're talking about uh, avilim and Jews and Torah. He says to them. That's what I want to do. Shimshel does whatever he wants to do. I don't admire the particular example. Frankly, I don't even admire the, the trait. But in context, that's a very, very important trait. Shimshon is free. In this case, he's free of his parents' strictures. Not a good thing. You should listen to your parents. But Shimshon does whatever he wants. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? As a trait, it's a good thing. In other words, radical freedom is an important characteristic which, in a Jew, should be controlled by his head. But you first have to have the trait. And the B'nai Yehuda behave like good little children, not because their head and their devotion to law or to Torah has told them to act in a certain way, but because they've completely lost the trait of doing whatever they want or doing anything at all, because ki yadata ki plishtim moshlim Israel. We are not in our own sovereignty. We are under someone else's sovereignty. Shimshon is the only person in the country who is not under anyone else's sovereignty, including not his parents, and I suspect not Torah, and to some extent not God either. Um, so his parents are very surprised. That's what it says. And his parents didn't understand what was going on here. They, they, they brought him up. They sent him to Chayda. He should have been a good boy. They didn't say what was going on. Yes, this is the... What does it mean, It Hashem He to marry the Plishti girl? Could be the next plus success. Kito anahu mevakesh mi plishtim. Who is the who? Aviv imo perek yudal de pasuk dalid. Aviv imo lo yadu ki meashem he that this story, this case is from God. Kito anahu mevakesh mi plishtim. For he is searching, is finding a trick, an excuse. Mi plishtim uveita he plishtim moshlim v'yisrael. So it's, what it clearly means, in my opinion, is that you understand Plishtim Moshlim Israel, and this story is in order to attack the situation of Plishtim Moshlim Israel. But who is Kitoana Humavakeshmi Mi Plishtim? Shimshon is pulling a stunt, or God is sending Shimshon into this situation because God has a certain plan. It's equivocal. I, mean, I think it's meant to be equivocal. It's very difficult to write explicitly that God sent Shimshon to marry a, a, a Bat Avelim. Because it's Asa. In the end, he doesn't marry her. Not so terrible, perhaps. I think it's meant to be equivocal. There's something going on here which is Dvar Hashem. There's a plan here. God has sent a Moshiach. But it's really based on Shimshon's impetuous, uncontrolled character. It's not that God put an idea into Shimshon's head. Shimshon does what he wants, and what he, the reason why he wants this girl is because she's pretty, because Matzachin Beinav, he liked her. That's what he's doing. But that whole story, having Shimshon exist and do what he's doing, is part of a divine plan. Why? Kiba'eitahi Plishtim Moshlim. Moshlim doesn't mean that they ruled. They ruled. Moshlim Israel. they were Moshlim in the character of Israel. How do I know that's what the words mean? Because when they say later on, if it wasn't for the second Pasuk, I would say that when we read it, when we read it the first time, in the beginning of Perikidalid, we thought it was a political statement. At that time, the rulers of Israel were Saneha Plishtim, the kings of Plishtim. But later on, when I see that they say to, to, to Shimshon, don't you know that Plishtim Moshlim Banu? We realize the first Ba'etahi Plishtim Moshlim Israel in the second sense. They rule their spirits. They rule their will. They rule their desires. Now you understand Kitoanahi. That, as we'll see in the rest of the story, that the connection between Plishtim, between Plishti women and Shimshon is part of a divine plan to somehow change, fix the situation of Ki Plishtim Moshlim Moshlim Israel. And therefore, the statement, V'hu shafat et Yisrael esrim shana, appears after the story where there was a direct confrontation between 3,000 Anshe Yehuda who committed treason by delivering one of their own to the Pushtim because they felt Pushtim Moshlim Banu. 
And Shimshon, who goes along with that plan and then demonstrates to them that nobody is Moshel be Shimshon. The Shimshon is actually delivered, he's tied up, he's handed over to the Plishtim, and then he breaks his bonds and goes and walks off and, and, does, and, does, and does what he does. Now, did he succeed in any sense? I think the Pasuk says, Vayishpot Yisrael Esrim Shana says that he did succeed. What did he succeed in doing? Not in changing anything in the political arena, but what did the Pasuk say in Parakut Gimel? Vuhu Yachel Lahoshiyat Yisrael Miyat Pushtim. So the word Yachel here means not that he will do step A of an eventual reconquest. It's step Ephes. It's the step before the first step. Vuhu Yachel, he will lay the seeds of a necessary transformation which will take many years before we will see uh, actual events on, on the ground. The word Yachel appears three times in this story, in the course of Shimshon's life. The first time is in Perik Gimel before he's born. The angel says to his mother, He will begin the redemption of Israel. The, um, the second time is when he first begins his career um, in the end of the last Pasuk of Perak Yud Gimel, before he's actually done anything, it just says he's about to do something. And the last Pasuk, And the Spirit of God began, I'll talk about what the word means in a second, but let's say, I believe the English says to move him. Uh, it was a spirit within him. Again, the word tachel here refers not to something explicit, something objective taking place, but something in the spiritual sense. Who yachel Yisrael, I argue, means he will begin to affect a spiritual, psychological transformation in Yeshua Yisrael. And here, v'tachel ruach Hashem defamo, what did it mean? He hasn't done anything yet. He hasn't attacked any plishtim yet, but he's uh, roaming the streets between Sarai and Eshtol. Uh, that's, it's hard to imagine, because today when you go to the streets between Sarai and Eshtol, you get stuck in the worst traffic jam in Israel. <laughs> but that's Shimshon. Shimshon says, traffic jam? He doesn't care. He, he just, uh, he was, he was running around. Uh, on Krish, what's that? I'm being Vava. Whatever. Uh, Shimshon is running around Ben Sarai and Eshtol. Uh, the word of famo is an unusual word. It doesn't have any, any, uh, it has no other, uh, expl- uh, ex- explications in, in, in Tanakh. So there are a lot of explanations. They all come down to the same thing. Um, uh, the Vadak, I think, says, famo is kmo pa'amon. Why, why kmo pa'amon? That the, uh, the clapper, ha'inbal, first strikes left and then strikes right. So, Ruach Hashem the Famo, we would think Ruach Hashem, Ruach Hashem that, that came to Eliyahu, Ruach Hashem that came to Moshe Rabbeinu, like sent them on a, on a, on a, on a mission. The Ruach Hashem sent you to do something. Ruach Hashem should poem by Shimshon, according to Radak, you, you, if you, you couldn't detect it if you were watching him, he was erratic. Sometimes left, sometimes right, sometimes he went uh, to this girl, sometimes he went to that girl, sometimes he helped the Jews, sometimes he did that. There was no mission. He's not, he has no plan in life. But that's still Ruach Hashem. Again, it's the, what I claim is the spirit of freedom. He did what he wanted to do. If you do whatever you want to do, there'll be no, there'll be no pattern because you're a impulsive, uh, erratic person. The point is, you're not controlled by anything. And therefore, the Pa'amodah Radak says, one time this way, one time that way. Uh, the other explanation, I believe, Rashi, the Marie Kras says, the it's the same idea. It means it, uh, it made off sounds. In other words, it was beating. Just, in other words, like, he was being, it means an impulse. I'm, I don't have impulses. I just come and give a shit because they told me to give it. But, uh, <laughs> but Shimshon would all of a sudden say, he would just, he would jump because something was, there were, there were impulses, there were tendencies, there were Yitzarim. Yitzarim? English? Somebody? Uh, instincts, thank you. He had instincts which were, you never know when they were going to come. That's Lefamo. It was a beating. Something would all of a sudden give a beat. All the peyushim, it's an unusual word meant that you shouldn't necessarily know what it means exactly, but you should feel it. If you feel pi'imot, so you know what happened to Shimshon. But the word yachel here, patachel ruach Hashem, so it means that something is stirring, but not necessarily changing in the objective world. The third time the word vatachel appears has to do with what appear to be objective, but I suspect not. And that is after he is captured. 
and after he has his hair shorn, and he's put into jail, and he is tied to the um, to the uh, miller's stone. Um, so his hair begins to grow back, because we know that eventually something's going to happen. So the last pasuk in that section, Perek Tezayin, pasuk Chafed, Chafadah says that he's been he's been uh, uh, put into prison. Vayasru benechushtaim, vayitochen bevet asirim, vayacher saar roshol itzameach kasher gulach. And uh, the Fushtim, a bit idiotic here, if they truly believe that having cut his hair is what led to his uh, weakness, so they made a really big mistake here. While he's uh, while he's in jail. His hair begins to grow back. So that appears, that sounds like a regular begin. The hair is actually beginning to grow. But we know that's not true. Because we know that Shimshon's hair doesn't really confer upon him power. It can't, first of all, we know because it can't be. Because there's no such, there's no such thing. Not in, not in Yiddishkeit and not in nature. But we also know because the Pasuk says so. His hair having grown back and he wishes to knock down the building in which he's standing and kill all the plishtim who are there, what does he do? He doesn't knock down the building. He turns to God and says, Shimshon Shreyn comes from God and even he knows it. Or at least at this point he knows it. So having had his hair grow long, it's not yet giving him back his strength. So Vatachel, when it says that his hair is beginning to grow, Vayachel, Sa'al Rosho, Litzameh, Kasher Gulach, it does speak about his hair, but what it's really saying is that Shimshon is coming back to his free spirit that he was before. And of course, that's really the tragedy of the final scene of, uh, of Shimshon. It's probably a terrible thing to be arrested by your enemies. And surely a terrible thing to be put into some sort of slavery. But if you remember who Shimshon is, we realize how extreme the picture is here. We have a person who simply did whatever he wanted. You, 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 he was in the middle of a Philistine city, in a house, surrounded by soldiers who were about to a- attack him. He doesn't even blink. He just gets a middle of the night, picks up the house, picks up the walls and walks off. He goes where he wants, does whatever he wants, and nothing can stop him. And now, having fallen into the trap of Delilah, he is attached by chains to a miller's stone. That's a, an, an action in context. And today, it's even, I think it would be better. He's become what we would call a cog in a machine. In Tanakh times, he's doing the work of an animal. Turning mill stones, which are very heavy, would not really be done by slaves. It would just be a waste of slaves. It's done by two oxen. Uh, we have uh, many uh, descriptions of that. Shimshon is, is, is a... Is been, it's the, the, the irony, the, the, the pathos... And what's happened, this is the man who nothing could touch and nothing could stop and his spirit recognized that. Not that he was strong, but he just didn't care. He did whatever he wanted and now he's a cog in a machine grinding wheat. It's the opposite. It's the total destruction of what we thought would be Shimshon. Shimshon represents human freedom and, and the Prishtim have in fact conquered him. And that's the explanation for what takes place afterwards. Again, objectively speaking, do we admire what Shimshon did? Or do we agree? I don't know, is the wrong word. Do we agree? Let's say halachically, do we agree? It's very problematic. Shimshon committed suicide. It's awesome. It's true. He killed a lot of, uh, a lot of plishtim. He killed more plishtim in his death than he did in his life. On the other hand, as I pointed out, so what? That didn't really, he wasn't saving Israel by killing those plishtim. But what he did though is, I'm not sure he even thought about it. Did he really think that, yeah, we know why he did it. He did it because he wanted vengeance. It says, he didn't do it because he said, ah, if I do this, the light about it in the paper and the Jews will, will free themselves. He doesn't have a plan. But it is true, one thing is true, that Shimshon in the end exhibited the same spirit which we expect of him, despite the Plishti plan and the Plishti success. Because at that second he became, he burst his chains, he became totally free, totally free in a destructive manner. Most of Shimshon's freedom is expressed in a destructive manner. So do I, what do, what do I think about the, the actual incident? It'll always be problematic. You'll have endless shiurim every year. In there'll always be one shir in the Meir Yud Betanach, which will describe do we like Shimshon or not. But and I don't know the answer to that. Well, I know it, but I don't want to share it. All right, I'm not sure. I change my mind from minute to minute. But the spirit of Shimshon, not the action of Shimshon, but the thing which is motivating him, the instinctual raw power of Shimshon. Raw power is a dangerous thing. It has to be controlled by by Torah, by 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 morality, by 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 intellect. But the raw power of Shimshon 
which is expressed in his physical strength, but much more in his psychological, spiritual strength, that is exhibited in the most magnificent thing at the end. And therefore, the Pasha repeats Shimshon's, mes- Shimshon's message to Israel was done when he told Anshay Yehuda by acting out that you are submissive and I am free. And then, he didn't do that anymore because he is about to find himself in chains in the Pushti prison. But then he breaks those chains and kills them. The Pasuk says, To tell us that, it, it, apparently it only took place in a few weeks or months. It's not, not a lot of time has gone by, apparently. There is one commentator who, to explain the two psukim, says that there's 20 years, another 20 years. But that's offhand ridiculous. I mean, it's just not possible. It does, not enough time has gone by, nor is the pasuk. The pasuk is clearly repeating itself. And it's, it's summing up. The pasuk says, in his death, he also was true to his mission of his kind of being a shofet. He's a different shofet than anyone else. He's not a shofet with his mind. He's not a shofet with his actions that save. He's a shofet with his personality. And that shvita, in his death again, let's repeat the same sentence. It's not an extra time. It's the same 20 years as before. But even in his death, despite having been arrested, oh, you see, it, didn't, it worked out it worked out well in the end. Why is this important? I think that, obviously it's important, but why is it especially important? Sefer Shoftim, as I said, is the bridge between uh, is the bridge between the desert, Yoshua, and Sefer Shmuel. Sefer Shmuel is Melucha, kingship. How does kingship take place? It deserves an entire shir, at least, but just the facts. Both the Torah and the story in Sefer Shmuel begin with a request by the people. In the Torah, it's more striking because we don't expect it. There's a mitzvah, afterwards, there's a big machloket we show him how to understand it. But the Torah says there's a mitzvah, and it's counted as a mitzvah, Som Tasim Alecha Melech, but it begins with the Pasuk, when you request a Melech, then Som Tasim Alecha Melech. And of course, that's what takes place in Shmuel as well. If you're not going to request a king, you're not going to get a king. Why did the Jews request a king? The Jews of of, of uh, Shimshon's time would not have requested a king. They had kings. Who were the kings? Sanei Pushtim. They didn't miss anything. Pushtim Moshlim Banu. So Shimshon is the crucial and he's the final Shofet. He's a crucial link in getting into Sefer Shmuel because Shimshon somehow it's, it's beneath the, it's beneath uh, well, what we can see, it's done, it's done in psychological, so there's no explicit pasuk. But Shimshon has changed the psychological state of the Jews towards their oppressors, towards their kings, towards themselves. The desire for self-sovereignty is created because they, you know, in some sense, imitating, imitating, imitating Shimshon. And one final point, the person who will be, who will continue that job is Shmuel. So Shmuel is not in Sefer Shoftim, although he's called a Shofet. He is a Shofet, he's also a Navi, and he's also he who crowns, uh, who crowns uh, Shaul as well as, as David. Interestingly enough, Chazal say that Shmuel was also a Nazir. I plan to, I don't have any time, I plan to mention why Shimshon is a Nazir. In half a sentence, you all know the reason. Why is Shimshon a Nazir? What kind of a Nazir is Shimshon? He's not a holy person who's staying away from things. Shimshon is Nazir because, mainly because he grows his hair. In other words, he's, he's wild. The official title of Shimshon can only be expressed in Yiddish. He's a Wildermensch. And that is Shimshon. That's his Nazirut as well. Nazirut of Shimshon doesn't include a prohibition against Tumat Metim. That's what the, that, that's what the, that's what the, that's what the Gemara in, in Nazir says. How do they know that? Well, because he killed people. Radak says, so what? You can kill somebody without being Tamei Mitim. You kill him, he dies a few seconds later. What's the problem? Shimshon could have found ways to kill people without. But the Gemara says that Shimshon wasn't Tamei the Mitim. Why? Because there's no reason for Shimshon not Tamei Mitim. He's not a Kadosh person who spends his day learning Torah. So, Tum'ah is not a problem for him. What, what was important for Shimshon was, lo al rosho. He should be unrestricted. He should let his hair just grow wildly. The Gemara says that Shmuel HaNavi was a Nazir. Why? Because his mother said, before he was born, before he was conceived, she promised God, Umora, same words, Umora lo rosho. It's learned from a Gzeira Shavat Shimshon. Nonetheless, the Gemara says, he wasn't a Nazir Shimshon. 
Shmuel Navi was a what's called a Nazir Olam. He was a Sulu to Mele Meitim. In fact, he was a Nazir for his whole life. He didn't have the 30 days of no Korbanot. So on one hand, he's like Shimshon. On the other hand, he's a Tzadik. He's not Shimshon. So he also has the Kedusha part of Nizirut, but he's a continuation, an explicit, at least according to Chazal, he's an explicit continuation of Shimshon because of the Pasuk by both of them, Umora lo yaleh roshon, that a razor should not uh, uh, go over his head. And therefore, the next stage, he will actually appoint Shaul HaMelech, is also, it's not in the Pasukim, but it's in Chazal, he's also a kind of Nazir, a different Nazir than a regular Nazir, not somebody who's avoiding wine, but a Nazir Olam, a Nazir of like Shimshon, but even better. And he is the next link before we get to Melucha Israel, which is the story of Sefer Shmuel and then Sefer, and then Sefer Melachim. I had more things to say, but the time is up. What? No, no. Ah, it's a 40? Hold it, hold it, hold it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've missed, I've missed my watch. Okay, I've been granted another 10 minutes. So, let me, let me, let me use the time. I'm just going to mention this you know, quickly. I, what, what I claimed here is I want to ask a different question. I want to know what is the purpose of the story. I try to answer what the purpose of the story is. Having said what I said, let's quickly consider all the other questions which one asks about Shimshon, and maybe we could understand the answers better. I'm not going to answer those questions, but to give a, a way to go. Question number one. I just answered it. I answered it quickly because I thought I was in a, I thought I was in a rush. Why is Shimshon a Nazir? Uh, nazir is a halakhic status which we associate with, not with Shimshon, we associate it with these kind of tzaddikim who very carefully, they don't go, they don't drink wine, they, they don't cut their hair, they don't go into meitim. The Pasuk says that they're Kedoshim. The Pasuk in Pashat Nasal describes the Nazir as, as a Kadosh. Uh, so Shimshon, the answer is, is what I said. Shimshon is a different kind of a Nazir. Halachic is a different kind of a Nazir. There's a special Nazirut called the Mishnah in the end of Nesach and Nazir says there's something called Nezirut Shimshon. That has different laws. It's not based on the Psukim in Pasha Nassau, it's based in this Pasha. He was a Nazir because he was born. Different kind of Nezirut. The kind of Nezirut of Shimshon is not a person who is Parush Min HaOlam, who's very careful not to, not to, not to drink uh, wine or etc. Uh, it's a person who is, who is wild. He's not bound by conventions. It's a very special Nezirut, and that's why it reflects Shimshon's personality. That's, that's one point. Uh, point uh, point uh, number two. Um, again, just one sentence. How do we evaluate Shimshon's personality? Is he a good guy or a bad guy? My answer is, or the answer that, not the answer, the, the point that would come from what I said today is, that's not an important question. The question is not whether or not you should give Shimshon Shlishi when he comes to Shul. <laughs> shlishi, you give to Tzadikim. Shimshon is not about actions or mitzvot. It's about a human personality trait. The trait is neither, the trait is, is neither good or bad in terms of what it does. It's good because of its necessity. You cannot be an Oveid Hashem if you're not free. Freedom itself, we know, is very, very problematic. Freedom very often leads to Chet. It's not, it doesn't, now, another thing that I mentioned, Shimshon's, all Shimshon's stories are, are connected with women. They're connected to, 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 uh, transgressions with women. He's, he's constantly, uh, doing things which are not good. There's a, we all know there's a connection between freedom and, uh, and sexual transgressions. Especially in an English-speaking, uh, audience. So we remember what's happened in America. The, 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 the progression of freedom in America leads to sexual, uh, uh creativity. Uh, sexual transgression. <laughs> Uh, freedom is a very, very problematic thing. Despite that it's very problematic, as a trait, it's necessary. It has to be controlled. By Shimshon, it's not particularly controlled. Shimshon is the raw power. It's, it's, it's not about mitzvot. It's not about Dvar Hashem and Averot. It doesn't, by the way, it doesn't say in the Pasuk, Shehem Chatu, and therefore they were sent over to Pushtim. It just says that the Jews are, are under the control of Pushtim. It's not about sin, repentance and salvation. It's about something deeper. 
you don't even have, you're not even sinning anymore. You have no freedom, you have no desires, you just do what you're told. So you're not actually sinning and you need to be redeemed from your psychological state. So Shimshon's personality, again, it's important, I think, to analyze it, but that's not, I think, the main point. The Tanakh is not interested in his personality, it's interested in his personality traits. It's not interested in his goodness or badness. It's interested in the raw power of not being subjugated, not being restrained. That trait has to exist. It should exist in a Shmuel sense. Shmuel also is not restrained. His hair also grows wild. But Shmuel, Shmuel, Shmuel is an Obed Hashem, so he can say later on, to B'nai Yisrael, it's Shomi Lakachti. I haven't stolen anything. I haven't done anything wrong. I've always been a tzaddik. I've always led you when you have no complaints against me and they all say, yes, you've been a wonderful person. Well, they wouldn't say that about Shimshon. So, but that control has to come after you have something to control. So Shimshon has to uh, arouse the spirit and then each person and the Jewish society will have to control that spirit and direct it in the right in the right way. So the question of is he, is he a good shofet or a bad shofet is somewhat irrelevant. I'm not saying we shouldn't discuss it. Was he right to do A, B, and C? Is it mutter to set fire to all the fields in Peleshet because one particular person did something to your wife? I don't know. It doesn't sound mutter to me. I, I think if it happened today, we would try to catch the guy and put him in jail. That's why we have the uh, 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 Shabbat. But Shimshon wasn't a good person, but he exhibited what nobody else had. It, the story is about his traits and not about and not so much about his actions. Only to the extent that his actions exhibit exhibit his traits. Um, another uh, another point. Uh, if we're going ready into details, so Shimshon has a habit. The only intellectual thing that Shimshon actually does is his mashal mishalim. He was very good at riddles. It's a particularly interesting intellectual trait, not uh, particularly valued in yeshivot. Uh, I don't recall any uh, particularly great uh, mishalim. Uh, not, not riddles. I mean, mishalim, there were, like in the Chapat sense. But uh, riddles, I don't know. It wasn't part of my education. Shimshon is very good at riddles. His most famous riddle is, uh, so uh, they did figure it out. They didn't figure it out. They cheated. They paid the girl to find out, and uh, in the end, they found out what that meant. The the carcass of the lion. There was uh, the came honey. Mi'az matok is the epitaph of Shimshon's life. God was a better riddler than Shimshon. I don't think Shimshon meant that, but the whole story of Shimshon is mi'az matok. Shimshon is az. He's a lion. He roams. He eats whatever he wants to eat. But can, from, from within his innards, from within his death, the dead lion produces dvash. The dead Shimshon, the moment of his death, as Miyaz Yatsamatok, if it will, in fact, continue as I hope, as I believe it, as I believe it continued. Uh, one other point. Um, if we think about what we learned, uh, Shimshon is one of those stories that we remember from, from Kita Dalit. Uh, we don't very often don't read it afterwards. So what we remember is that Shimshon, how was Shimshon undone? He was undone by the women he hung out with. So we assume that he was seduced by a woman. Shimshon wasn't seduced by a woman. Shimshon was free, he was also free from the influence of his women. Uh, twice, a woman who he was hanging out with tried to cajole him into giving away his secret. And he laughed at her. Twice to Delila and once to the, to the previous woman. Why did Shimshon tell Delila in the end? Not because she seduced him, because she nagged him to death. No, 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 no. That, that's what it says. It's not, this is not me. Oh, please. Are you making me feel like I'm somehow uh, saying something nasty about plishti women? Uh, um, I have the utmost respect for plishti womanhood. The Pasuk says so. Uh, it says the third time, Vayehi ki hitzika lo bidvareha kol hayamim vataltseyu vatikshav nafshol lamut he was being, it's, I'm translating into perfectly literal English. He was being nagged to death. <laughs> Shimshon didn't tell her because, oh, he liked her, and if he wanted, he was totally independent. Nobody had power of Shimshon. But, but he was an Ish Yitzri. He had instincts. He had, he had impulses. And, and, and when you nagged him enough, he just couldn't take it. So he said, okay, cut off my hair. Okay, so that's like you know, it's a it's a typical Shimshon story, and again, it explains that it's not necessarily a good thing to be sub, you know, to be to be instinctual. If he had thought, he would have somehow there was a solution. He could have gotten up and moved someplace else. He didn't have to stay in the house. But again, he was he liked the girl. He stayed with her. She drove him crazy. So he 
said, cut off my hair. And that eventually was his, uh, was, was, was his, was his downfall. And so in some sense, he didn't actually, again, halachically, if you, if you view, if you view Shimshon stories from halachic angle, so there's a lot of problems. Is this mutter? Is that mutter? <laughs> from a halachic angle, you view the story of how Shimshon was captured, it, it, it might be that he was, he was okay, but I'll say you. But Tzatzayu sounds like Anas Rachman Apatre. It wasn't his fault. He, he was getting. It was Pikuach Nefesh. He was dying. The only way to get this woman to stop killing him. True. In Merchot, I admit that there were quotation marks on the word killing. But at least in Shimshon's own mind, he had no choice. So perhaps halachically he didn't sin. But we all understand it's not about sin. It's not about mitzvah. It's about the what happens to a free and unrestricted spirit. It does a lot of bad things. But it does a lot of good things. The main thing is again to get back to to get back to the spirit, and that's what happened here. And therefore, he wound up uh, without his hair, and he wound up this time uh, losing losing his eyes as well. Another point that I think is worth thinking about is the um, is is the, the message of the eyes, and the thing which the psukim concentrate on as being the I wouldn't say the main, but the ultimate, the ultimate sign of the disgrace, the degradation of Shimshon is that he was blinded. I know that not because not really because it was done, but because he himself stressed that point. In the end, he said, He didn't say, from the fact that I had to work hard or that I was uh, subjugated or that I was a slave. The, the blinding of Shimshon, not having eyes, is from the Plishti point of view, apparently the ultimate answer to his personality, and he thinks so as well. And that's what requires his breaking the bonds and bringing the house down was the answer to what? I think it's mostly symbolic because there was a lot of things involved, but yes, binakmami shnei enai. So that, uh, I'm going to leave this open as a question as to why the, the, if you had to pick one thing which symbolizes Shimshon's freedom and the one thing which requires redemption because it was taken away and therefore it has to be proven that it's not true, it hasn't been taken away, so that involves Shimshon having eyes. So you can connect it to what we usually think of as being sin. The eyes, and undoubtedly Shimshon's eyes led him to, to, to where it led him. He saw a girl in Timnah. He saw a girl in Azah. He saw whatever he saw. Uh, but in this sense, I don't think it's necessarily being said uh, negatively. The, the eyes here as a, uh, as what, uh, the, connects a person, connects the spirit, the inner spirit of a person, to what he's to what he's going to. Not having eyes for Shimshon means even if he wouldn't be tied up, he couldn't do anything. Uh, perhaps, or there could be something. I, I think we should think about it as something. Uh, I think perhaps deeper that's being inspired here. But in the end, you have this this statement in the in the in the parsha. If you have to sum up in one word, what happened to Shimshon? The answer is he roamed around, saw a lot of things, lost his eyes, and then got it back. If for one teeny little second he saw enough to be able to have ultimate victory over his over his enemies. For our point of view, the personal story isn't that Shimshon had a victory over his enemies, but that Amisrael eventually, because of Shimshon, in fact, did progress and did come to the state of the Bin Melech and Shlomo Melech and Meluchat Hashem Yisrael. Thank you.